Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the new Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship, and more. My name is Felipe Ojo. And I'm Mike Rice. And today we're going to dive into match week number 16 of the Canadian Premier League, going all over the exciting matches that we saw. A lot of goals in this weekend, especially in one particular game, but we'll go over that very soon. Make sure to follow us on our Twitter, Instagram, and Threads account at Coast to Coast FC and on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts so that you know exactly when we upload. But without further delay, we're going to go straight into our first first match, which is not the highest scoring match, but probably the one that had the most weight going into this weekend, which was Pacific against Forge. Now, this one was uh, a lot of people were looking at it because it had a lot of implications for top of the table. Pacific had been on a little bit of a bad run. Cavalry will, will, were right at their heels. And Forge were hoping to catch up with the pack and, and the leading pack. And uh, I think this game proved to be eventful, maybe in some ways that we would obviously rather not see. But we did see some goals and we did see some play. And for this one, Mike, you were one of probably one of the few people that were watching <laughs> this game because it was an eventful Friday night in American soccer, in North American soccer. You had Messi's debut with Inter Miami in the Leagues Cup. You had the Vancouver Whitecaps Club Leon game that went on forever because of that penalty shootout. So <laughs> I felt like you were maybe one of the only people that actually tuned in for this game. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one? What's uh? Oh, let me go over the score. Forge won this two zero, with goals from Quasi Poku in the sixth minute, and Chouinier uh, in the thirty eighth minute. Uh, what were your thoughts on this match? How did it start, and what were the causes for Pacific to uh kind of slip away again? Yeah, it was uh probably quite a uh, lonely time. For me and a couple of others uh, who reached out over Twitter saying they were watching. Uh, yeah, um, but it was a pretty exciting game throughout. Pacific, we've, we've known like for a few weeks now, teams have gone to slow the game down and they haven't been able to get into much of a rhythm. They did in this one. They had plenty of opportunities. They got forward quick. They got the ball rolling, just as James Merriman has kept saying he wants to make sure they do to create chances. Uh, but Forge were just had this really good game plan that kept them out of the box for the majority of the time. We've got the stats we've got here 21 shots and only three on target for Pacific. So they had plenty of opportunities, just couldn't make make much of them. Um and they uh, had 12 shots, 12 of those shots from outside the box. Um, so it was a lot of long range shooting. Mandrakar James um, um, alongside uh, Johnson at the back there really did really well. Um, Bajabapur, um has been a really good like addition back from when he's, when he's been missing, um, really helped them out. And defensively, they were resolute and hit. Um, Pacific on the counter, uh, which is where they sort of got their goals. Kwasi Poku getting a goal at the back post, getting in the head of uh, Kunle Dadaluk, who switched off at the back. On the other side, David Schwanier gets his goal, which I think Kieran Basket will hope for, would wish for another chance at. Um, but they held their own, I think, Forge. And despite the amount of attacks that Pacific made, they just were really relatively comfortable is a lot of like we say a lot of shots from outside the box a lot of shots going wide and 
it's it's just got to be frustrating. I mean, since James Merriman signed this new deal, they haven't picked up a point. I haven't picked up a win. It's uh, been yeah, frustrating times for them. Yeah, and then like looking at the highlights, even you could see that mm. it felt like the ball and the net for Pacific were like magnets with the same polarity because they kept just <laughs> yeah. going away from each other. They never, every time a shot from outside of the box went, it kept going over, just bending wide or sailing over. And even, you know, it just, it just felt like no matter what they would do, it, it just couldn't get them on target. And it, yeah, it just, it was ridiculous, uh, especially in that first half. But yeah, the goals from Forge, I feel like, Kieran Basket didn't have the best of days in his performance. The first goal was a bit awkward, definitely kind of fell halfway through. I think he probably still should have done better. And yeah, the second hole, the second goal through the hole, through his legs, um, <laughs> did not do him any favors. And uh, yeah, now maybe, you know, there's a conversation now about like maybe it's time to give Gazdov another chance if, if Kieran Basket, you know, in the same way where Gazdov hasn't been performing too well. Basket comes in, I think maybe it should work the other way uh, if Basket isn't sort yeah, of performing it the way that he was doing before. But uh, but yeah, eventful first half. Then, then we go into the second half and this exciting game gets stopped to a standstill because of a mm-hmm. horrific injury to Gennaro Daniels. Um, happened, I think, very shortly after the second half. And it, it if I believe he went up for a header with Manjakar James and then it was in that collision that he kind of just crumpled to the ground then the yeah. referee stopped the play and uh he got medical attention and I, I mean you were watching how long was that break for for the two teams I know yeah. the players had went back to their locker rooms that was that long yeah I think it was around about 20 minutes um that he was down just making sure that everything was done correctly um yeah really 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 hard for um uh, for the player, just Janario goes up for a header, Mandrakar James, both competing for it. Um, it looked relatively innocuous while watching on the TV. Um, Janario Daniels tries to get a flick on and sort of lifts his head up and back to try and flick it on behind. James will run as in behind and they clash heads and he goes down on his front and he's spread out with his head down um, and he just doesn't move. Um, so, yeah, after a while, the players then go off the pitch Um and eventually they're able to make sure they can move him safely. We had reports came through afterwards saying that he's in a stable condition, which is fantastic. I haven't found out any more uh, information while recording at the moment. So fingers crossed for Janaro Daniels. Um, yeah, it's a really, yeah, really difficult one to watch. And hopefully, um, hopefully all the best for him because he was bright as well in this game. He had a couple of chances. Um Broke into the box and got a left foot shot away, which just went wide. It was it was a game where it was really exciting. There, there were so many exciting moments, but then when you watch back, you realise actually there weren't that many on target. But um, but his replacement on Garo did um did bring a uh, a few chances, which really I really think he should have taken. Yeah, I mean there was that one chance that he did really well to get it down, and then. Mm. Uh, Tristan was coming out and he did really good to lob it over. And I thought it was going to be a, a classic, yeah. you know, killer finisher. But no, Ashinori Johnson comes in and pulls mm. a Rocco Romeo, makes a goal line yeah. clearance. And it's a bit too uh, delicate just... from Ongaro. It's just a very delicate yeah. touch over when it just needed a bit more, a uh, bit more, a bit more of a connection. Um, and then later on, he gets a header in the box, but he just mistimes it all terribly. Mm. 
and it goes wide. It was yeah, really um really difficult to uh, really difficult for the uh, for the young man. Yeah, especially since in Forge they were they were giving away chances. I mean, Forge liked to dominate and everything, but they were giving away chances. I mean, Tristan Henry had that kind of lapse moment where he tried to go out and clear the ball. I think it hit his teammate and fell right to Manny Aparicio, who mm. tried to hit that first time on the volley, but his I guess he just got too much backspin and it kind of yeah. stopped halfway and then it even go out. It actually just bounced. And stay yeah. <laughs> on the pitch afterwards. I'm sure, and in a chance that I'm sure he'll want to get that back, but that could have been horrible for uh, for Tristan Henry's CV if he would have let that one in because of a. He's had a few of those so far this season, and he's yeah. always you can always almost count on on that. But you know that's what happens when you have a keeper that's very aggressive, likes to come out, likes to you know be a sweeper keeper, and gonna have little moments like that but uh but yeah then that's the way the the game stood for for the rest of the match after the restart i think pacific were brighter and they had more chances but forge did well to keep it relatively to half chances or chances from outside of the box i honestly don't think i've ever seen pacific shoot so many shots from outside the box in that one um but yeah overall i think uh forge will be very happy with that victory um and yeah, now... they were tactically astute. Um, so, so going into that, like, um, there, there was something really clever that I th- felt they did when in possession, which really threw Pacific in the first half, where Johnson was sort of pushing up into the midfield to make this sort of box midfield, and uh, Metasala and Rama joined Mandrakar James to make three. So it got to keep those wingers high, and then they're four in the middle, and it really did disrupt how. Pacific were able to press as well, like especially in that first half. And I think they were doing so well to confuse Pacific and throw in. I mean, it was a great little tweak that um Bobby Smiliotis brought in for this for this particular game, it seems, and the against this team. And it really made it difficult for like Pacific were constantly having to answer questions um throughout this match. Yeah, I think yeah, the the game plan that Forge came into the match with evidently worked and and it put Pacific in this weird position where they were having the chances, but it wasn't comfortable, I think, for them. And it always seemed like the chances that they were taking were a bit frantic. And maybe that's why they didn't have the best definition when they were trying to, you know, actually get them on target. Mm-hmm. But looking forward now, Pacific, I think officially now we can say maybe it's a bit of panic stations for them because they are winless in five games, which is Mm. ridiculous considering the incredible start that they had to the first half of the season. Now winless in five. They lost first place. Cavalry now are first place after a result, which we'll talk about next. Forge are right on their tails now, level on points, but Forge have played an extra game. And I don't know about you, Mike, but now what do you think Pacific now are going to respond with? Because like I said, winless in five, it hasn't been working. How do you freshen this up? How do you change this around to get back to how Pacific were playing before? What is the What do you think is the root cause of the, this problem that they've sort of created for themselves. I think with this great start to this season, it's put teams very much on the back foot going up against them. So they're getting deep, they're making it hard. And teams are seeing now that if we get 
if we get our defenders deep, if we get our midfield just sitting in front, Pacific can't close us down. And it was getting, you can see them getting frustrated. You can see them trying to do things too quickly sometimes. Um, I know they want to play fast and they want to keep the ball moving, but sometimes it's it just got to very frustrating points for them. I think this game, uh, Iman Sleuth had a very good game, I thought. Um, and he's been a really impressive player, but it did seem sometimes that they were just forcing very similar things from him over and over again. And Forge were doing really well to um, to slow him down at times. And when that happens, other players weren't really offering a different thing and like giving him an other option other than cut inside and try and beat the man. Like He wasn't... George um, Mukumbiwa as a left-back isn't as... The, the flying left back is going to get up the left wing and whipping across with his left foot. So you, you don't have that overlapping fullback on that side. So it, it makes it a little bit more difficult, I think, for Salouf, um, with how much attention he's getting from such a good start to the year. Um, that's not to say he didn't make chances, but I think that's something they need to think about. And it was another one of those times where I just think the striker is a slightly more isolated like they got these players who are all filling around the box, which is something we spoke about Forge during their slump at the beginning of the season. You've got a lot of players who want to be all around doing something creative, but there aren't the movements and there aren't the runs into the box of players that just want to finish the ball. Yeah, it, is, it does seem like now, especially as this winless streak is going on, it is Pacific are starting to overcomplicate things, I think. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to not only do that, but incredibly they're starting to be a bit predictable because you're right the way that they play with Salouf right now you know that he's going to want to cut in and he still will skin people the way that he yeah. he had that chance where he completely put left like uh Rama on the on the floor <laughs> which was beautiful to see um <laughs> but uh it's still like you know what's going to happen and as like I said before the only way you can really stop a player like Salouf is either stopping the service to him or stop or, or intercepting the service that he brings and i think that's how people are starting to neutralize him a bit more and i think honestly the striker position for pacific right now is becoming a bit of an issue because like mm-hmm. you said we you know Gennaro daniels you know he, obviously he, he got injured with that i think it is a concussion that i that i saw hopefully he mm. comes back soon but even beforehand he didn't he's a hard-working striker he doesn't have many shots on target this season mm. he's more no. of that connector adonijah reed isn't really a striker he plays that false nine but he's more of an attacking midfielder and easton ongaro hasn't really hit the ground running this season only has a few goals to his name so i feel like the striker position especially when you look at the strength that cavalry has with meyer bevan yeah and even now vancouver with Wedo diaz you kind of wonder is, is that something that they obviously have three players that can play in that position but are they the good good enough in the position to help lead this team to you know continue to stay at the top because you can only rely on your wingers and your midfielders to score so many goals before you ask questions about you know whether the striker is picking up that slack so it'll be interesting to see if if pacific can sort of mitigate that issue with the striker by having like you said more players maybe get into the box and try to have more goal focused players that's why we meant i mentioned before is having a more attack-minded midfielder for pacific might be useful because manny aparicio 
Stefan Yates, even Cedric Toussaint as a six, they will pop shots from, from wide and they'll create chances. But as goal scorers, I do not see them. And and even, you know, Sean Young. But now, now it's kind of like, you know, you're winless in five. You have to do something. Something has to give. Something has to change. Mm-hmm. Or else you're going to let this lead that you had, this astounding lead that you had, I think it was like seven points not a month and a half ago, yeah, is now no, mm-hmm. dissipated completely. Yeah, and when your when your centre back's your top scorer, there's probably what sort of highlights your biggest problems. Um, mm-hmm. And teams are defending well against them. They're not they're not giving up too many um, the set pieces that Pacific had. They weren't able to take advantage of in this one. Um, and like you say, like Janario Daniels, he's had just going through the the. Canadian Premier League website now, 11 shots and only two on target this season and the whole season. Uh, Eastern Ongaro, six shots on target from 14. Um, so you can see the difficulties they're having. It just There's just no composure at the moment. And I think they're, the longer it goes on, the more frustrating it's getting for them and the lack of the lack of composure that continues, um, continues to happen. Yeah. But, you know, looking, you know, switching it now to Forge, I mean, Forge are on a little bit of an undefeated streak now. You know, three games, two wins, and a draw. They're climbing back up the table. Like I said, they're they're now level with Pacific, and now we see that maybe this is the resurgence of the Forge that we all knew. I was gonna say knew and loved. Maybe didn't love it, but the one we all knew. And uh, and and now maybe Forge is definitely. I mean. Forge is definitely now in the conversation for that title charge. It's a three-way, uh, three-way horse race now between Forge, Cavalry, and Pacific, and it didn't look that way at all a few weeks ago. So it's now it's making this Canadian Premier League season even more exciting because there's no runaway winner anymore. It's all very, very close and very tight. And that's always, you know, for a neutral fan, that's what you want to see in a competitive mm, league definitely. like this. But. <laughs> But I just think, yeah, Forge have come in, and even though they've tweaked a few things around, I think the biggest thing is now certain players are starting to step up more, not just attacking-wise, but also defensively and in the midfield. Before, I felt like everyone was sort of pulling sixes and sevens, except for the likes of, like, Kyle Becker, who always Mm. is good for, like, an eight or a nine out of ten performance. Now you see starting to see more of these players step up, as you saw them previously, and I think that Forge are going to, you know, continue this form. I mean, their next hall, uh, match is at home against Vancouver FC. Vancouver <laughs> FC, we'll talk about in a minute, didn't have a great weekend. So this might be, uh, you know, another great opportunity for Forge to do their own late charge. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They're in good form. They've got players back. And fitness, uh, like we mentioned, uh, Jabapur, like who can just control that midfield and that sort of defensive midfield position takes a little bit of the pressure off Kyle Becker. Uh, Jensen had a decent game in the middle there as well. And they got two goals from their wide players as well. So, which always helps you've got when you've got those players. If this one, um, Tone Campbell didn't get involved quite as much. Um, but I think more due to the way Forge were playing and the fact that they were ready to give up possession, ready to frustrate Pacific at times and hit them on the break and use these wide areas where Didich and Merajaguer have been consistently very good. Um, but I think sometimes Pacific's fullbacks are being 
caught out a little bit. And I think that's what Forge worked on because of how important Dadaluk is to the attack as well. So they they spotted these areas and did really well. And yeah, you you, you can see them really uh, picking up Forge now and yeah, quite settled um, with their squad um, with without injuries or suspensions. And yeah, and, uh, once again, a very difficult team to come up against. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. We'll see how they continue next week against Vancouver, who we'll talk about now in their match. It was a home match to forget, and they've had a few of those already this season as they lost 5-1 to Cavalry. I'll rattle through the goals now and also some of the red cards that we got. Meyer Bevan started off in the seventh minute through a penalty after Pele Martinez brought him down and got himself a, a harsh red card, I'd say. Then Vancouver actually responded really well with Weto Diaz getting his second goal in, in just a second game for Vancouver in the 10th minute before Dan Klomp put the advantage back in Cavalry's favor with a Dennis Burkamp-esque goal from the center back in the 24th minute. (laughs) Yeah. And then uh, a little bit of Moosey magic helped Sergio Camargo extend the lead to 3-1 before Ben Fisk made sure this was a rout in the 55th minute in the second half after uh, pretty much a free header that he took really well after a good performance from him. And then Moussi, the man of the match, scored a stunning solo goal in the 84th minute to round out the rout, and it ended like that. But in the 67th minute, a turning point obviously was a double red card for Meyer Bevan, Cavalry's top goal scorer, and Amir Kanani. We'll talk more about how that happened in a little bit. But, I mean, I was there for this one. Again, I seem to always be here for these blowouts uh, to Vancouver. <laughs> yeah, um, that must have been uh, a strange one for you watching, like, tuning in. It was... <laughs> I. I had the, the the luck of being able to watch it live on TV, so you get the different angles. Like for you, the speed of what that the opening goal and the decision, how it was, how quickly it was made. Um, did that? Was there a bit of confusion for you there as to what was considered? From what I feel is what is a clear and obvious goal scoring opportunity? Because it did seem like Callum Irvin was there to try and deal with the uh, the attack, which. For me, it doesn't make it clear and obvious, but maybe from your viewpoint, while you're watching it live, like the referee, how did, how did it look for you? <laughs> no, I mean, watching it live, I think it was deservedly a penalty. I think Pele Martinez yeah. got the wrong side of him and he pulled his shoulder. I think Meyer Bevan, you know, when you get a pull like that, you're going to go down. I'm not going to say he made a meal out of it, but he definitely helped yeah. himself definite with penalty, the way yeah. with, with he fell. And it was a definite penalty. And I thought that it was going to be a yellow because of the rules of double jeopardy. And mm. yeah, obviously, Dogso sort of trumps that, denying of a, of a goal-scoring opportunity. I also didn't think it was a uh, goal-scoring opportunity because like you said Irving was there also it was a bit to the side it wasn't like mm-hmm. straight uh like a pure breakaway he still had a little bit to do and yeah, I don't think fun. it was an like an egregious enough tackle to be warrant a red card and I think it surprised everyone I mean I was in the media box uh and I was there with you know uh Alex Gonge Ruzik and Alex and I turned to each other and we were like that's a red and not only <laughs> even us the the cavalry a uh, video analyst was beside us. And even he was like, that was harsh. Like yeah. that was harsh. <laughs> Penalty for sure. I think yellow yeah. card for sure. 
red card, I think, was very harsh. And I know some people disagree. I got a very angry comments on an article that I wrote <laughs> for AFTN, basically just, yeah, slating me for thinking that it was uh, not a red card. But in my own personal opinion, I think that it was not a red card, um, mm. especially that early on in the game. I mean, six minutes to give a red card, mm. you know, obviously a ref, you want to stick by the rules. You don't want to, you know, bend the rules just because oh, it's yeah, so early on in a game. But still, I felt like it was, I think, 50-50 enough that you, you know, you you err on the side of caution and you go with a yellow. I don't think anybody from Cavalry would have complained with, no. if 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 they would have given a yellow because they got the penalty. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. was calling for the red card, given how innocuous of a challenge it really looked like. So, yeah, I thought it was it was quite harsh on that one. Um, and it happened again. I don't know what it, what it is with these cavalry games. <laughs> you know, the, the home opener with Vancouver, uh, Romeo got that red card. That shouldn't have been a red card as well. And the <laughs> reverse tie against cavalry, Pele Martinez should have been sent off. And then wasn't, and then later got suspended, and now in this one, I don't know what it is with Calvary Vancouver uh, games. Build up a new rivalry, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, build up a, a rivalry of red cards, apparently. Because I, I'm curious to see if there's a fact of most red cards between two teams in one mm. season. If if now with them, it, it you know with uh, four across three uh. games is a, is a record, but. Yeah, Meyer Bevan took the penalty um, and did really well. Cal gave Cal Vernon no chance. And I no. thought that, you know, with the red card and that goal, this was going to be the beginning of a horrible night <laughs> for Vancouver, which eventually it did turn out to. But initially, it didn't look like it because right after the penalty, Vancouver came out flying didn't act like they had 10 men. They switched to a 4-2-3, which allowed them to continue to press up high with their three strikers. And I found when one of Elliot Simmons or Renan Garcia joined the press, they really put cavalry under pressure. And it was thanks to that, you know, maintaining that energy and maintaining that good form. And that quack got a chance to cross the ball in and incredibly went past everyone. Every yeah. cavalry defender. I think that was such a poor goal to concede from cavalry. Everyone just switched off, it seemed. Because no way, there's no, the, the, that ball has no right to make it all the way to the back post to where Guerrero Diaz is, which is no. the last person you want to see <laughs> at that back post with a with a, basically a free tap in. Uh, mm. And he tapped it in and got his second uh, uh, in two games. What did you make of that cavalry defending? And how was it just like, <laughs> I guess from the TV, like, did you just see them just completely switch off? Yeah, I mean, if it was the other way around, we've seen how quickly Vancouver switch off after scoring. <laughs> if it was the other way around, you'd say, oh, they've done it again. But with Cavalry, it was just so surprising. And really good from to see Vancouver, like, switched on after a goal. And, like, it's the, the opposite to what we saw uh, when they played Ottawa recently and uh, in the, plenty of other games. It was, I think... One of the biggest things that surprised me with how quick they switched off was the fact that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, when when um, Vancouver went down players, they were saying the last game in the home opener for them, they were still a threat throughout the game. Uh, mm. And it finished as a draw. Um, yeah, it did. So I'm just thinking, Cavalry, back in the exact same position, you've got to stay focused and just get like, let's manage the game, let's, let's get our goal, uh, let's get another one, and let's just... Like make sure that we can just rest players throughout the game. 
And to do that straight away is like, oh my gosh, you <laughs> know, like I, get, I was so so surprised from such a uh, such a good defense that they um that they could just yeah completely switch off like that. No, yeah, I was it, I mean, fair play to to Minje Kwok for getting up there. I personally think he's best up in, in the attack and not having to do any defensive duties. Uh, because I mean, we'll talk about one of the goals that I think was on him defensively. Um, I think he does really well in the attack and did really well to get past. I think it was two challenges to cross that ball in. Uh, uh, but yeah, the the cavalry defense are gonna definitely want to look at that one again and and try to mm. stamp that out of their game because against you know better opposition against a more full strength opposition, you that's yeah. not the kind of goals you want to concede. Uh, when you're chasing a title like that, I know Tommy afterwards was was not happy with that goal, and mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why he said he definitely feels like his team could be better because he was not partic- he was happy with most of the performance, but there were yeah. moments like that that he was obviously not too happy about. But then he was probably happy with Dan Klomp afterwards in the twenty fourth <laughs> yeah. minute with that goal. It was hilarious because in the in the post match press conference, uh, one of the questions that was asked to Dan Klomp and Tommy was waiting on the wings was, "Do you ever, you know, do you try that to do that in practice? And how how efficient are you?" And both of them just had a big laugh. And Tommy joked, "Just <laughs> oh, he tries that every week, every day." <laughs> um. But no, yeah, just I, it, it, you know, I think a center back has one of those every once <laughs> in a while, every every uh, maybe once a season, once every couple seasons, you have those ridiculous goals that he scores a center yeah. back. Uh, <laughs> but you know, fair play to him to be able to, to loop that ball up and then just and just turn it around, like I said, like a Dennis Burkamp esque goal, <laughs> and then side foot that into the into into the net. But from a Vancouver FC point of view, I mean, this has happened time and time again, which I, I mentioned to Alex as well. Vancouver FC, they just switch off in the second phase of a corner, which is, you, you can't do that. You can't just think the ball's dead, the ball's gone as soon as you clear your the lines the first time. Yeah, They all step up as you should, but they're all disjointed. They all step up individually. They don't step up as a unit. And so when that ball goes back in, everyone is just, like watching it go all the way to Dan Klump. Nobody's re you know, nobody's anticipating it. Everyone's just reacting. And by the time Dan Klump gets it, it's way too late. Yeah. So that's, that's really that was, yeah. So I mean that's I mean I don't know if the uh if the saying's the the exact same in Canada. It's Sunday League defending. <laughs> really. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, <laughs> Sunday League. It's- it's very much the, it seems the defenders are told, right, in this phase you do this, in this phase of the play you do that. And they're all just doing it individually without thinking, right, okay, the ball's gone, I'm doing this. And they're not going, right, where are we? Where are the opposition? Right, now we can make these steps. Who's around me? They're just solely focused on, I have to get a little bit further up the pitch now. And it's just not paying attention to to the game at all. And that's, yeah, infuriating for uh, for uh, got me. <laughs> Yeah, and obviously it's a young squad, but now with more experienced players, maybe this is another opportunity where you can say if they had an experienced center back, mm. then maybe he could be the one that could have led that kind of like everyone push up, stay organized and everything, right? Just that extra head in that. Because again, like I said, I keep saying Callum Irvin can't do anything, everything from, yeah. from the back. He there, there has to be somebody else that helps him out in the defense, I think, to organize that defense. Um 
but because this keeps happening it's not the first time that it's happened <laughs> where they in the second phase of a free kick or in the second phase of a corner they just they just switch off and it, it costs them so much because they know they know that they're fighting to try mm-hmm. to get anything from this game they managed to get a goal back you know against the run of play against all odds you gotta now fight to try to be able to keep that point maybe nick a goal winning goal off a counterattack while cavalry are asleep you you know try and try and try and then they just give that away you know not f- less than 15 minutes after they scored so it was super disappointing i think from vancouver's point of view uh i'm sure dan klopp is ecstatic about that goal he's <laughs> yeah. probably he's probably rewatched <laughs> it quite a few times i'm yeah. sure if i scored a goal like that i would um <laughs> But then, yeah, Vancouver's sort of, you know, plight continued. They had a really good chance. Actually, even before Klomp's goal, they had a really good chance to score that I think Bradley Camden slid in on yeah. Sean Hundell to block. Yeah. If that would have gone in, it would have been a transition. Yeah. yeah, it was a great transition goal. It was a bit too deep. I think he caught himself caught out a little bit. He was too deep so that the ball went across and the runner was able to get through, but he recovered really well. But yeah, like you agree, like, Vancouver have got these really dangerous forwards, haven't they? And if they get the chance to counter, like when you've got pace of like Sean Handel, and it's really dangerous. Yeah, and I mean the kind of the sad thing from a from obviously as, as a Vancouver fan and also from a neutral point of view is that you know you want to see that what this front four can really do now that they're settled and at full strength. Yeah. But then six minutes in, it just, you know, it just ruined, not ruined the whole game. But I guess if you want <laughs> to see how Vancouver actually can do at full strength with their new yeah. signings, now that they've settled a bit more, that kind of went out the window, you know, as soon as Pelé got that red card. But like you said, yeah, they they they, they have those moments. But at the, the defense, again, you know, I mean, they were playing a back five to begin with. They went to a back four. I think they are way more success- susceptible to goals against when they switched to that back four with the personnel that they have Be- because Musi, I mean, Ali Musi, what a player. First of all, legends, mm-hmm. you know, I, I almost felt like I wanted to give him a standing ovation if I wasn't in the Vancouver <laughs> FC press box uh, because <laughs> of his performance. Um, he, it was his magic that he pulled, you know, in the, for the third goal where he skinned James Cameron. And I feel mm-hmm. bad for James Cameron because I think he actually had a really good game when he wasn't defending Ali Musi, when he was defending anybody else. And when he was going forward, you know, especially when you have 10 men, it's hard to kind of try to find attacking uh, options when you're trying to hold it back defensively because you're missing a center back. The yeah. fact that he kind of gave, gave that attacking dimension as well on the left was really, really good. Unfortunately for him, he was tasked to defend Ali Musi, who is probably alongside, you know, Eamon Salouf, the one of the toughest players to defend against. And Ali Musi not only skinned him, but then did a, a little roulette to get past, <laughs> I think it was Rocco, or I, I don't even remember. I was just looking at Ali. Uh, and then just, yeah, had a nice uh, left foot shot that was parried away from Irving really well, but Sergio Camargo alone at that back post should never be alone at that back post. Again, Vancouver FC defenders ball watching there taps it in for the three, one. And as soon as that three, one came in, I was like, okay, here it is game over. There's no real way that they can come back from this. And uh, I don't know if you thought the same thing when that goal went in. 
Yeah, definitely. I think when you're when you're holding on a goal behind, you can sort of defend deep for as long as possible and just try to hit them on the attack with some pacey attacking play. But yeah, once it went to uh, once it went to three one, you could see cavalry were in control. You could see then that they were just enjoying themselves as well, and they were they were they were finding ways to really make it life difficult for Vancouver, and they were finding really good ways to be able to attack one on one. Like you say, James Cameron's done well. Um, I mean, I saw the tweet that Vancouver put out when he signed his new contract. It's like a winger has now signed, a young winger signs contract. So he's a fullback now. So he's obviously a winger term fullback. He's got some areas of his game as a young 18-year-old that need improving, but he's earned that contract, I think. Um, he's he's shown he's got potential and he's, yeah, he did do quite well at times. Um but Ali Moussi's on another level at the moment, and he's uh, definitely hitting form right now, um, which make him a handful for any fullback he comes up against. And his ability on the ball to go with both feet as well make it really difficult for it to like for t- for players to um, defend him. He's cutting inside. You know, sometimes oh yeah, okay, he's, he wants to get on his left. He wants to get on his left. And then he cuts and goes onto his right, and he he's he's a really really dangerous player. That's Absolutely, like he's full on helping this um, cavalry team, like across the board, be dangerous in the attack, not just him, like so solely. Yeah, and 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 that's one of the things that you know I think cavalry been calling out for a player like Ali Musi before, because like I said in in earlier seasons, they've always been good, they've always been solid, very physical, hardworking, a good system, but I always felt like at times it was a bit stale. There, they needed something, a spark in there, and now mm-hmm. they not only have Ali Musi, who is like the biggest one they have, they also have players like Gote and Tigni now. Mm-hmm. who can also provide that that electric pace and stuff like that. And w- with Ali Musi, you have a player that can get past pretty much any defender, really. And he's yeah. so difficult to defend against. And I mean, you know, we're, we'll talk about the fifth goal, but on the topic of Musi, let's talk about the fifth and final goal because it's mm-hmm. you know that he wants a cut on his left, but the fact that he did a mm-hmm. fake shot, kind of ball roll, and then yeah. kind of like step over to get onto his right... And then blast that shot on his weaker, and I'm doing that in uh, yes. <laughs> weaker right foot into the top corner is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. To be able to go play him either side, play him down the middle, wherever he can find the ball, you know that he's going to be able to turn and he's going to be able to beat players. And when you can do that across the pitch and not be isolated to just, okay, I can cut in from this wing, he can do it anywhere. And um, I mean, that's. That must be so exciting to play alongside for his teammates as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in that way, I mean, Ben Fisk also, I think, was a player that maybe didn't get as many plaudits because of how well Ali Musi played. Because Ben Fisk coming in after that lengthy injury, actually, I think, played really well with Calvary, created a few chances, in the especially in the first half, and got deservedly his, his goal in the second half with a free header, Again, yeah. how are you getting him a free header? That one yeah. was on Min Jae Kwok. I think he was the one marking him, and he just he, he looked at where he was, and then he just let him get in front of him and, and get that free header. It yeah. was, yeah. It was, uh, I don't know if you heard it, obviously being there, but watching on one soccer, that goal, you could just hear Callum Irvin sat, just looking up at his centre-backs going, something along the lines of, so we're just ducking now, are we? Yeah. <laughs> 
That's that's so funny. <laughs> that's just the frustration. <laughs> I did not hear that. No, that's amazing that that, that you guys got that on on the on the feed because I did not hear that. That's <laughs> hilarious though. Uh, but no, yeah, it's another uh, like so many of these goals could be avoidable for Vancouver. Obviously, when frustrations are go like flare, and you know you think you're being hard done by. That's what Ashton said after the match too. It's like I can't blame any of the players' mistakes. We had a lot of mistakes. Can't blame them because we, you know, there was a lot of things that went against us, and players get frustrated, they get scrambled and stuff like that, and, and there's nothing you can do with that beyond, you know, just trying to work harder for the next match. And I think, you know, to a point, I believe that's true. All, But also, I think there's a lot of glaring issues systematically that they have to work on defensively that maybe bringing in an yeah. experienced center back, they can work on. But yeah. But, I mean, to, those, yeah. Sorry, they, I mean, those young players, like you say, they don't have a, that central defensive leader with a lot of experience. And when you're going 90, 85 minutes a man down against the team that are doing uh that are playing so well like creating opportunities through so many different avenues it's it's going to be hard work and that's when mistakes are going to be made yeah yeah and now you know for cavalry they did really well in this one but now they're going to be without their main man meyer bevan because of the incident that happened in the 67th minute for those of the for those of you who hadn't watched, basically what had happened is Meyer Bevan was angry for whatever reason, yeah. and uh, was chasing the ball. And I think it was either James Cameron or Renan Garcia that had the ball initially, and Meyer Bevan did a bit of a shoulder charge on him initially, and then the ball went to Quok, and Meyer Bevan had was just seeing red. It looked like like he yeah. was just had no intention to play a ball. He kicked out of Minjay Quok. Nowhere near the ball with full blooded force, and as soon as he did that, the bench is cleared. And no. VFC, who were already frustrated, who already their blood was boiling, that just got them to another level. Amir Kanani came by and shoved Meyer Bevan at in his throat, not once but twice. <laughs> With the Earning, linesman literally on his shoulder. <laughs> so yeah, literally, like, he's, it, Amir Kanani saw red as well, and it was ridiculous for Meyer Bevan. He had absolutely no reason to do that. At that point, you you were 4-1 up. Why are you doing that? And then for Amir Kanani, you're 4-1 down. Why are yeah. you doing that? Uh, it just felt like it was, yeah, a lapse, a serious lapse of judgment from both players, and both players deservedly, I think, got that red card. I know a lot of people had a lot to say about the refereeing in this match. And, I, I, you know, there's a few things I agree with. But I think definitely for this one, the referee got that right for those two red cards for... Uh, well, it was a joint, a joint effort there from the... Because um, Maya Bevan was given a yellow card initially. Um, mm. So when that happened, the referee gives him a yellow and it's all kicking off. And he steps back and starts watching... Um, and the linesman's not getting involved, and he has a discussion with his linesman who was on that side where the foul was taken. So, I think as much as we would like VAR, and VAR would have cleared that up, but I think they did it really well as a group. And it's good to see that all like the the the, the uh refereeing team made the right decision at the end of that. That was that was good to see, yeah, definitely, definitely. And you know, even if you do want VAR to be in, you still want your refereeing team to be competent and sharp exactly. and e without it. Because VAR is supposed to only 
help them. It's supposed to be a tool. It's supposed to see, aid yeah. them and compliment them. It's not supposed to replace them or make up for, for you know them not doing their jobs. So mm. yeah, it, you're right. That is that is good that the that the refereeing team got together and made the right choice at the end. But now looking forward for Cavalry, I mean, they're in this great position. They are now first. You know, Tommy Wilden no. Jr. You could see the relief on his face afterwards. <laughs> Because finally, you know, something that he's chased so long after the first season is to finish first, especially now that not only is there a trophy, but there's a CONCACAF Champions Cup position on the line. It actually means something this time around, as opposed to in the very first season of the CPL. And it just, it just, it feels like Calvary have the tools to do it. But now, mm-hmm. for the next three games, they don't have top goal scorer Meyer Bevan. So, how do you think that Tommy Wilden Jr. was going to adapt for this with Calvary? And can uh, the striker, the backup striker, Joe Mason, step up and take over the mantle from Meyer Bevan? I think he'll be used um, definitely to start with in the next one. Um, but they've got William Accio there as well, who could be another option down the middle. Uh, I'm not sure if he's there specifically. He's not been brought in specifically for that role, but I think... He's a player they could use alongside Mason, maybe in a rotation possibility there. I think when you lose the, your top goal scorer, it's going to be difficult. Um, but Bevan scored a few, quite a few penalties this year. Um, I have to find double check on the stats on um, his goals from open play to penalties. But what what makes what will keep Tommy Wilden Jr. confident is the goals are coming from everywhere now as well. So other like his attack his attacking players are all contributing in and around the box. That he doesn't have to rely on one striker scoring the goals. So while they've got that going for them at the moment, I think he'll he'll be frustrated, obviously, with Mike Evans' behaviour and decision making in that moment. Um, but he'll have a lot of um, a lot of faith in his players. I mean, Ethan Beckford's even come off the bench and caused a little bit of problems not 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 to say he's a like for like replacement for Maya Bevan but they've got a decent amount of depth there I think Cavalry that should help continue to just for the team to be able to continue playing just like they are yeah they like I said they have the pieces there and they mm-hmm. should be able to make up the goals that Maya Bevan has with the team I mean especially if Ali Moosey continues on the form that he's in he could be a player that when he if he steps up when he steps up is a game changer for them so you know i mean it's definitely important now that these players have to step up because now that cavalry mm-hmm. are at the top of the table they have to stay there and pacific are going to want that back forward you're having a late resurgence so cavalry are are going to have to keep their mistakes and you know behaviors like that that Meyer we saw from Meyer mm-hmm. bevan to an absolute minimum if they want to come away with the regular season title come the end of the season but Vancouver now I mean we talked a little bit about this in, in the preview that we did on Thursday but if they lose this game and they did and handsomely um unfortunately for them you know is the dream over the playoff dream over because not only are they you know still eight points off the playoff the last playoff position now nine equal now. games nine now oh god nine now um with equal equal uh all oh right yeah 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 and with equal games now uh across the, the four teams at the bottom not only is it nine points now off table but uh off the fifth place in the table but 
they also got two red cards and there's two more players that they're not going to be able to rely on in our already sort of short squad that is missing important players that it just feels like is a bit disjointed right now for you. Do you feel like this is it Vancouver are done and they should just focus on trying to build for the next season? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, we, we say they're nine points behind, but they've also got minus 16 goal difference. So it's basically 10 points behind. Uh, so um, they're, just, they're just struggling to find consistent form. They've got, they've got, they've got players who are in the attack who are going to be dangerous and they will pick up some more wins this year. That's um, It's not to say they're done and dusted and they're not going to get any more points. They will get some more wins, but I just think the... The gap is too big now um, from a team that you can't rely on to build a consistent run. Um, I guess for the only the only benefits, uh, the only like bright points to be in a quite a harsh way is these two players that got sent off. I don't think will be on first names on the team sheet in any sense of the word. Kinani's a nice sub. Um, who's now lost his chances of uh, for a few games of getting opportunities to try and prove himself and get more minutes. And Martinez has, for me, been their biggest liability at the back. Um, I would definitely go with players like White um, alongside Rocco Romeo um, and give that young player the opportunity who will make some mistakes as a young player still learning. But I think he will get a lot more out of this season personally, as well as for the club going forward. Uh, than than um, what they're getting from Martinez at the moment. So as much as this game, his decisions hurt him, his decisions in following games won't hurt them. Yeah, that's fair. Now it's <laughs> time for these other players to kind of step up and try to help Vancouver grow and try to finish with a respectable points tally. I yeah. think, you know, it, I think it, the goal was always a playoff spot in your first season. And if you miss that, it's not the worst thing because you're an expansion side it's been a tumultuous season a lot of hard lessons that the team has learned not just the players but the coaching staff and the front office and you just want to take these lessons and try to learn from them and push them into 2024 which i think should be the goal now for vancouver fc they need to to entertain maybe a little bit more they need we need to hopefully we'll see them play some quite exciting games at home and just get the fans down more excited about next year as well. We're seeing relatively empty the stadium, like a stand across on the TV, which is frustrating. You see it in other stadiums. It's not just Vancouver. There seems to be everyone sitting below the camera rather than in front and moving yeah, around. Yeah, but even, but even this is probably the emptiest I've seen this, this pitch yeah. be, uh, which was sad. And I mean, we're losing 5-1. It's, you know... That's what the thing is like. I don't want to say the referee, you know, cost the game to Vancouver because Vancouver cost the game to Vancouver. Yeah. You know, across it. But it was sad that the red card kind of put the game as it was because Vancouver FC are trying to sell themselves to the community, sell themselves to the fans and getting pumped five nails, six, three, five, one. Yeah. In half of the home games basically is yeah. is very, very tough for their image and it, yeah they need to try to recover and like you said not only for themselves and for their for their own team ability and to build for the next season but from a marketing point of view from a promotional point of view because it's hard to try to sell a team 
that is struggling not only to get wins but like when they lose they lose bad at home yeah. which is yeah. ter- not what you want to see but moving on we've waffled enough quite <laughs> long enough about this game let's move on to the other game that we had which was Halifax against Ottawa this one was supposed to be played on the Saturday but I got rescheduled to the Sunday because of the flash floods that were going on yeah. in Halifax Halifax have not been going through a great time in the last no, few months with, yeah which is you know with uh or initially the forest fires and now the flash floods they're yeah. really going through the elements right now so yeah. wishing everyone in the Halifax area uh hopefully you are safe and things get a bit more normal in terms of the yeah. weather for you guys but yeah. the, they did get a little bit of a pick-me-up through this because Halifax came away with a fifth straight win for Patrice Geiser's men as they won 1-0 over Ottawa. The lone goal coming from Teo Colom in the 24th minute. And what a goal it was. It was, I mean, I don't know what was better because the, the finish was incredible. But the mm. pass from Dan Nimick was out of this world as well. <laughs> Dan Nimick doing another 50-yard ping from basically his own half, finding yeah. Tail Colum and Tail Colum having the confidence to take that side foot volley first time, curl it around uh Nathan Ingham and just pinging the the the, the post and going in. Oh, yeah. goal of the week up there, maybe with goal of the season. There's a lot of candidates in this. Game, <laughs> yeah, that is again. definitely yeah. <laughs> That is definitely up there, though. What did you make of the uh, opening stages of this Halifax game? Yeah, I mean, going from the goal, I just it was really quite fun to listen to a very humble Dan Nimick getting interviewed after the game, just saying, well, I gave Teo quite a lot to do with it, but he did also. <laughs> so it was a very good pass there. And um, yeah, Teo Colon, brilliant to take that first time as well. The confidence, it's not as if he's just walked into this team and banging in goals for fun. He's still sort of building his place in this team as a player who's used in a bit of rotation and to, to have the confidence to go with first time volley on that was, was, was incredible. And it just shows the, the, the way that Halifax are playing when they're at home, especially like you say, five wins on the bounce at home and they they're making the odd change. They're move, changing players around, bringing in players into different positions at times. But they're all on the same page. And when teams go to Halifax, they know they're in for one of the toughest games they're going to play each each week. And Ottawa went in there, which I find so bizarre, was just how passive they were. And Nimic plays this long, long, long pass um, to for the goal. But they have the, they've had throughout the first half and a lot of the second half the ability to just slowly build up play and walk forward and the 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 Ottawa defense are just taking steps step step back step back and they're not at all pressing. Uh, it's just really bizarre game plan from Ottawa after going on such a good run of form prior to this match. Yeah, that was like they were playing in such a way that was exciting to see them play. They were pressing, they were hardworking, they were doing a lot of good interlinking play. But in this one, it almost felt like they took their foot off the gas pedal and just let Halifax build. And it felt like I didn't see Ollie Bassett until the end of the half. He Mm. was pretty invisible for Ottawa 
for a majority of that first half. And that's so unlike him and unlike Ottawa, given their form that they were. And, you know, you're, you are the away team in Halifax, one of the hardest places to play, not only because of the long travel to get there, but because, you know, you know that the kitchen is going to be full of Halifax fans. <laughs> it's going to be full of, of, of people. It's going to be a, a bit of a volatile environment. And to, to not go there and try to disrupt the play of Halifax that you know they want to play this really fluid attacking football is boggling to me that for some reason that wasn't Carlos Gonzalez's plan when they yeah. uh, when they went into that. And I felt at halftime, it, you know, there was a little bit of a chance there at the end where Halifax sort of fell asleep uh defensively gave the ball away and Bassett had a had a shot that just sk- like I think just skimmed the top of the crossbar um but aside from that that was it from Ottawa which mm-hmm. you know I thought at halftime Carlos Gonzalez had to change something yeah they would it was, it was bizarre like you say Oli Bassett was other than that moment you were just seeing him down like just as deep as Zapater behind them Antonoro was getting forward and trying to do things but he was getting so frustrated he was losing the ball he was getting out muscles so so often it was Dan Nimick seemed to be stepping up into that area away from his sort of centre-back spot and he was stepping out brilliantly and winning the ball um Ferrazzo and Timoteo had really good games on their flanks as well really dealt with power from Acosta so it made it really difficult and we know that Ottawa like to defend deep, but they make it difficult for teams. Um, but in this one, they just were deep, but they weren't reacting. They were static. They were strolling. They just like, right, get back and then we'll walk around. And Halifax were able to then find these areas. They were able to take their time and then try and build. And once they were getting into these areas, usually you see Ottawa, it's like, ah, oh, we're, we're moving the ball quick, but we can't break them through. If Halifax picked up the speed at times, they could do that. And it was so un-Ottawa-like in this one. And we said in our preview as well, it was so bizarre. We thought, oh, Oli Bassett against uh, Caligari there at the back. Who's going to come out on top? But the whole Halifax midfield just controlled the game. Yeah, and even into the second half, I think Halifax started really well as well. And it wasn't really until like 70 minutes into the game where we started to see Ottawa sort of start to pick up speed. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, I mean, Riley Ferrazzo had a great game. Should have put the game to bed twice. Yeah. <laughs> that first one was inexcusable. Right in front of the net, all alone, mm-hmm. a tap-in and sends it sailing above mm-hmm. And the second time again at the back post, this one on a a bit more difficult, tries to go with his left foot and just, you know, shanks it wide. He really should have done better to kill the game for Halifax and make it a bit more comfortable for Patrice Geyser's side. But still, he had a really good game regardless. But yeah, I just didn't feel like Ottawa kind of got into the game until the last 20 or so minutes. And the whole time I was just watching, I was... I was expecting some sort of response, some kind of some some wake up from Ottawa showing, you know, what they have been doing in the last four four games that they they've gotten so many wins and mm. and nothing. They just allowed Halifax to dominate for for the majority of this match. Yeah. And it was it was difficult because we watched Halifax games and they're always really quite exciting to watch. They're a fun team to watch, but they didn't capitalize on how much they were dominating this match and how much they could have if they 
done that little bit extra, maybe put the uh, put the game to bed a little bit, and they kept themselves like one mistake away from losing these three points. And at both end of both halves, um, Ottawa make it like they were they were building opportunities which they hadn't throughout the first like 40 minutes of each half um i think everyone i mean we've, we've gone a little while here without mentioning uh donnell henry fanning making his cpl debut course, a little bit yeah. quicker than expected but i think everyone outside of ottawa hoping that halifax held on um, with him coming into the team get a clean sheet on your debut and to come in and make that back three there was also, we were getting the ball in and they were trying to get something at the end of that. And I think Halifax were lucky that Ottawa weren't on their game throughout so much of this match. Um, and they were lucky that they didn't really get um, punished for not putting this game to bed. I think that's probably the one thing Patrice Guys is going to take from this. Of like when a team's playing badly in front of us, we need to give ourselves a cushion. Yeah. And it's actually funny that you talk about Daniel Henry because I was just looking at his stats. Uh, he only made one touch all game, and it was a clearance, and that was it. It was a, yeah, it was he, a lunging clearance. <laughs> yeah, and that was that was all he did. <laughs> and it was, everyone ate it up. It was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, a huge moment for the league for Halifax. Um, I think uh, yeah, the commentators on one soccer did a really good job of explaining like what this meant. Because a player of his quality, a player that still could be, you know, in the Canadian men's national team picture here, coming to this league and helping this league grow. It was great to see. Uh, but incredibly, yeah, the way even though Ottawa were very much second best for 80 minutes uh, or like 70 minutes of the potential 90. By the end, they had the same amount of shots as Halifax and the same yeah. amount of shots on target as Halifax. Seven shots and two on target. So it looks closer, I guess, on paper if you just look mm. at stats. But it was, yeah, it was kind of ridiculous that uh, Halifax kind of kept it as close as it should have been because it was, should have been a, a much bigger scoreline and more deserved uh, scoreline for them to, with the way that they played. And now five in a row? I mean, no. you you look at, you know, some of the players that they have. Daniel Nimick is stepping up big time. Is he potentially a candidate for defender of the year now? He's definitely in that conversation with the likes of Amir Didich. If you have players like that that are continuing to step up, you have Doniel Henry that's coming up to support him. Halifax now are going to continue to climb up the table and maybe they'll have an outside shout as well for that potential... Uh, you know, title charge that we see as a three horse race, Halifax get a few more of these wins under their belt. And there can be right on that conversation or at least pushing for that third position in the playoffs. So, you know, looking, you know, looking at Halifax, do you think they could be kind of a dark horse in this league if they continue playing how they are? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because the next game is away at York United, who are not in the best of forms uh, and a very difficult team to really predict um going into each match so if they can if Halifax can turn their away form around a, a little bit if they can pick up points there they've got two home games one against Pacific and one against Vancouver following so the two teams on very long journeys both of which not on the best of forms themselves so there's there's a really, really good opportunity now for Halifax to really ride, sort of ride this wave of bringing in sort of Daniel Henry and helping like 
build up the experience and the composure at the back, which has been very good at home. And they just need to try and work out a little bit better about how they're being a little bit more efficient in attack. And this team's definitely got some like really, really high potential. Um, it's just trying to get trying to get it all together and trying to be a little bit more, like I say, efficient in attack because sometimes these lapses come and sometimes these little things happen towards ends of games and ends of halves with uh, with this Halifax team that you you wouldn't want to see them throwing away the opportunity of picking up three points each week. Yeah, and I mean, if you look at the rest of the season, because I'm looking at the rest of the schedule now, they have seven games at home, five games mm. away. So they're they and they're making you know Wanderers grounds a fortress. So if they can continue that form with seven games at home, if they can string most of those with wins and a few draws, they have a real shout uh, at you know pushing for that top of the table. So wouldn't be surprised if if they become if they go from a dark horse to just a contender like with the rest of the of the three that we see right now. But for Ottawa, unfortunately for them, despite their great form that they had, now they are also out of the playoff spots. Only one point behind Halifax here. Uh, They are are on 21. Halifax are on 22. But it's a little bit of a stumble for them. And I think more than anything, the result, because it's okay to lose away from home at Halifax. Mm -hmm. More than the result, it's the performance that was a bit concerning for me because I thought that they kind of put these kind of performances behind them, given the way that they played the last few games. We finally started to see consistency from Ottawa. It seemed like they finally figured it out, but then this came along with this kind of performance and it kind of put doubts in your mind again. So do you think that they can, do you think that this is something to be a bit of concern about, or is this just a write-off for Ottawa as they continue to search for uh, that push into the playoff spots again? Uh, yeah, I can't imagine them playing like this again. <laughs> they've got a full squad back now. They've they've got players back, obviously, from Gold Cup. They've got their new signings. It's not so that it, those players are there. It's not this is not even a game where they can look back and go, oh, yeah, but we had all these these injuries and suspensions. This is a full group who just all played badly at the same time. Um, I don't know if. They were following instructions to be this passive. I can't imagine they were. Um, I just don't think it went particularly well. And I can't imagine Carlos Gonzalez is going to let that happen two weeks in a row. Um, we know from pre earlier on in the season, we were getting this sort of Jekyll and Hyde performances from Ottawa. But they seem they seem to be beyond that. And it's not, I don't think now this is a case of, oh, this is a bad game. There'll be another, it'll be fine next week. I think this is a good team that's just had a really bad day and they should get back onto what they're doing next week in a tough game against Cavalry. <laughs> yeah, they're going to definitely need to step up their game against Cavalry mm. because that is a side on flying form and that's not a side you want to repeat this performance against um, regardless of w- where you are at in the table. Mm. Uh, but now we will move on to our fourth and final match of the weekday. It is Valor against York. And I feel like we're going to talk a lot about the opening nine minutes or 12 minutes. (laughs) And then afterwards, it's going to sort of peter out because that's how the game felt. Um, It was a 2-1 win in the end for York, an away win against Valor. All three goals came in the opening 10 minutes in an electric start 
uh, in this match. Uh, Austin Ricci got a goal in the fourth minutes off a great cross from uh, Jonathan Grant. Ozaza de Rosario finally got another goal for his account as he's trying to kickstart his season late in the season. In the eighth minute, a very well-taken striker's goal before Keon Williams got a goal back for Valor in the 10th minute in what looked like was going to be a thriller in in, in this one, (laughs) as you feel, because a lot of, you know, you you look at the way that both teams started and we were talking about, you know, this might be kind of like a sleepy fest and it started excellently. And then it kind of turned into a sleepy fest afterwards. (laughs) I mean, yeah and more of what we expected but what did you think about this exciting opening start to the to the match i think if uh if you go back and watch the uh watch the game Lord the Santos's face after De Rosario's goal is what soccer just zooms in on him of complete disbelief it was like it was like a child who watches like he's gone to get a cookie out of a jar and found it was empty he couldn't <laughs> believe what was happening in front of his eyes a team so good defensively with struggles in attack, just awful in the first eight minutes and giving up such the Austin Ricci goal, just poor defending from across the, the York players getting in front of the, there's two York players getting in front of two Valor defenders and Ricci's the one that gets on the ball. The second one, De Rosario, he's moved away and he's found himself a really clear lane to run through behind the defender in front of the fullback. And takes the takes the finish well, but it's just such bad defending, which you don't expect from Valor. Um the team get back into it. I mean, Youngberry did really well against Jonathan Grant, I thought, to um create this goal, uh, which Keen Williams just yeah, taps in um after a pullback. Uh and Valor looked like they were trying to get into it. I mean, um, there was I mean Jean Baptiste had a long-range effort which really tested Giants off just minutes later, and you're thinking. Here we go. This is definitely not what I was expecting. But yeah, like you say, after that, it slowed down. Chances became a little less um, less plenty. Um, and it, it just got to the point where you saw Ricci go through towards the end of that first half and a poor finish, uh, well saved really from Yesley. So it was the both these teams back to type and that's sort of how it finished. Yeah, because it wasn't like they weren't shots mm. but it wasn't like there weren't chances it wasn't like it was mm. just all midfield there were especially for valor i mean surprisingly they had a lot of chances a lot of shots but just you know jan either john sopolis came up big i think he had a big match for for, yeah, for yeah. york united and this one i think he he's sort of in the lot i mean the game against pacific as well he had a big match and this one he had a big match maybe mm. he's starting to push for like a late season shout at goalkeeper uh, uh of the year because he said that's a, cu- a couple of big performances from him. Yeah. But yeah, overall, I mean, Valor had 13 shots. They had three big chances, according to Bob, missed two of them. While yeah. York United had seven shots, three big chances, missed one of them. Uh, mm. And they had York had five shots on target. Valor had four shots on target. So there was chances. This could yeah. have it had the potential to be uh, like a thriller. But just the same things that have plagued both of these teams previously, just a lack of, you know, clinical finishing kind of after the 10 minutes, it, that's what was the biggest issue with this. And it, it wasn't like there was, you know, it, chances were at a premium. Chances were there and from range, but it just felt like on Valor's side, again, 
you know, Anthony Novak, hardworking player, won that, I think won a ball back for Diego Gutierrez to go and have a long shot. So he works hard to for his team, but just it's not connecting up front in the attack. And for York United, oh, obviously Ozaze de Rosario stepping up there, but still trying to find his feet again. So trying to be that kind of clinical player. Austin Ritchie had that fantastic chance, like you said. There were chances, but it just felt like the teams were struggling to produce more than what they did in those opening 10 minutes and 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 it you know you don't want to say that it's a it ended up being a boring game because it wasn't there were still you know things that sort of yeah. get excited about but you felt like there was there should have been more goals in a game like this with with everything that was going on um but yeah, I don't know how much more we could really talk about that besides that well, I guess Silama- they, maybe Silamani's yeah, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. So the money comes on. It, it was uh, I was kind of expecting to see him more central. Um, he, he did get some chances on that. I thought see of it. Siage came on at the same time, so got that chance up front. Um, but Selimani had a, a good opportunity, looked bright and dangerous. And I guess the only other point we need to really mention is how uh, Valor could have snatched the late draw with um, long ball through and Giant Sopolis did quite well to stop um, Young Gabire getting in at the end. Um, I think it was in the sort of ticking over close to the 90th minute and they nearly had that chance to um, the chance to tie it all up. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you say, there's, it's just small points amongst the game that you can bring up amongst a lot of average sort of play, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, for for Valor, this one's going to sting because, mm-hmm. you know, the one thing that they had going for them is a really good defense, especially at home. That kind of clean sheet streak was snapped. And yeah. now it, they can see the two goals in the space of 10 minutes, which is the last thing that you want to see from a def- team that really defensively is the one thing that they can, you know, be really, really good at. And even though they score a goal, which is great because you know that's something that they're that scoring goals in Valor is a premium. Um, mm-hmm. it, it felt like they were still lacking, and now you know, it's they're five points off a playoff spot. Do you see Valor in the same sort of way as Vancouver, where they are sort of slipping away past the point where they can push for a playoff spot come the end of the season? It's really tough because for some reason. I've got this blind belief in Valor because I really like some of their players. Like when you've got the younger <laughs> game forward, they can get in crosses and they can, they, but they just can't finish. And I, I'm interested to see um, how things change uh, with the with the new signing. Uh, can Salamani add something extra to this attack? Uh, to maybe push on some of his new teammates as well who are struggling. Um, with the competition now uh, to get on the pitch. There's there's something about them that I see and I think, okay, you you defensively usually you're good. You can you can make opportunities, but I, you just can't trust them to score goals. And that's what's gonna what's gonna probably mean they will miss out on the playoffs. Um they did the Key and Williams in the 10 like I like, but they're defensively <laughs> this is the thing, like we talk about Phil DeSanto, is he just too like um too cautious by playing these three sort of defensive minded maybe midfielders and we see them score two goals really early on without them so <laughs> it's, it's a juggling sort of act that he's now having to do 
I, I'd be really interested to see them try back again, maybe using wing backs and going to a back three. Uh, I think Mizugi, I really like on the ball. He's bright, he's energetic, he's good going forward, but he's got mistakes in his defensively. Put him as a wing back, but Caro can get forward from the wing as well. Debrian, when he's thinking, like is a good attacking player that can be used in there. And then maybe you sacrifice one of these attacking midfielders and go to two behind a um behind a striker but then having those three center backs with two defensive midfielders might make you a little bit more solid but also give you opportunities to go forward maybe maybe that's something that I look to consider but I'm not sure about you but I don't know do they have enough center backs I guess is the question yeah I mean it's they've had such terrible luck and it feels like Clyde Cella sort of turned into this Swiss army player that wherever you need him in defense, he'll just go and play. He'll just go. And it's like Jean-Baptiste will down throw him in. If he was playing wing back, I think previously as well in, in the last game. And it's just like wherever you need him, he'll go, which is again great for him. He's getting opportunities and stuff, but you obviously want to have the best players available. But you know, yeah, it's it's gonna be tough for Valor because of the injury issues that they've they've had lately and the way that they are playing isn't really you know contributing to getting goals and getting results the one thing that they do have going for them right now is that in the next four games three of them are at home so you do have your home support there and they've shown that they can make it a fortress before if they can just add a little bit more maybe now with with uh this addition that they that they got up front of Soleimani maybe now they can try to be a bit more attacking minded and if they can mm-hmm. get a f- couple results i mean i say 3 out of the th- 3 out of the 4 are home games but it's against pacific and cavalry in ottawa so <laughs> yeah. they're tough teams regardless of where you play whether it's at home or away yeah. but that can be a, maybe a slight advantage for them but yeah it's still it's looking really tough for them and it's going to be interesting to see if they can uh they can come back from this or if their playoff dreams uh, die relatively quickly like that of Vancouver. Mm-hmm. But for York, I mean, this keeps their place in the playoff as they continue this roller coaster form that they've been on of win, lose, draw, win, draw, lose. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they are in fourth place, two points ahead of Halifax, but a game of a game ahead of them as well. They have 17 while Halifax has 16. So they could easily drop down to fifth if Halifax can make up that point differential. And if Ottawa play the extra game and win that extra game too, then suddenly York United are down in sixth position. So they are in the playoff spots right now, but it's a bit contentious. Can they sort of take this win, which wasn't maybe all that convincing, and try to kind of spur on that that good form that they had earlier in the first half of the season in that five game run, or like, are you expecting York to kind of just stumble their way continuously through the season now? Yeah, I, I'm going with the second one. The, I think that they're too. You can't believe in this team every week. They got players who can definitely show up at times, but the same players can then be mistake like full of mistakes and drift out of games and. It's just impossible to tell what this team's going to bring at the moment. Um, not because not because I don't rate their players, but I think the competition they have in this group, the rotations that they are making to make sure that each player is playing, the fact that they're going to have to play a lot of young players, um, whether they like it or not. <laughs> um, it's, there's just so many question marks going into every game of 
what what are we going to expect? Who's going to be playing? What system are we going to be playing? Uh, that it just makes it so hard. I think at the moment, I think they will probably stumble into a playoff spot, but I really don't think it's, it's not by no means cut and dry. We've got six, probably six teams going for five places and all of them, uh, at least four of them will be battling it out amongst them for those final three spots. Yeah, so exactly. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how York United kind of find their place in there. Maybe they'll just scrape that last position. But I mean, with the likes, you know, with the form that Halifax are on and even Ottawa before this, it's going to be tough for them. They're going to have to step up. And I think a large part of, of their performance, if it is to improve, if it is to be better, is going to rely on their strikers stepping up. I think, you know, Ozaze got that goal. Now, if he can turn that into a uh, going in a little bit of a purple patch, going in a little bit of a streak now, scoring can help York kind of settle down and get some results to to firmly put it. I think that's one of, I've been a huge part of their um, kind of missteps is that the, their strikers and, and Brian Wright and Ozazi De Rosario sh- sort of haven't really stepped up this season, especially mm-hmm. De Rosario with the, with the season he had last season. You expect him to do that. So I'm hoping that for the sake of York United, he can sort of step up again and start to get a few more goals under his belt to help his team stabilize a bit and 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 yeah. uh, assure their place in the playoffs. But that is it for our weekly roundup. We're now going to move on to our player of the week. <laughs> Michael, start with you. I think it was pretty easy uh, choices. We had two real choices and we both chose the one we wanted. So, yeah. Mike... Who is yeah, the player of the week? I think everyone's going to have guessed these beforehand. Be interested to see if anyone else has someone else they want to raise. Um, but I'll be going with Dan Nimick. Um, one mistake throughout the game. But other than that, he was excellent. Brilliant assist, uh, stepping out from the back, reading the game really well um, and defensively really strong. Um, yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> it's pretty, uh, pretty cut and dry for me, that one. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think even what was it Patrice Geiser said that he can see Dan Nimick being a potential, like a future Canadian men's national team player. I mean, if he continues this form and, you know, either steps up huge in the Canadian Premier League or finds a move away, maybe back into the MLS or something like that, I think he has the definitely the quality and the potential to do so. And he's like I said before, he's, he's sort of putting himself in the conversation for defender of the year. And to do that for a first year professional fresh out of college yeah. is a great sign for him. So yeah, that one's a easy picking. And my <laughs> easy picking for this week is obviously Ali Musi. I've already talked to him at length in when we were talking in that uh, Vancouver Cavalry game, but just it's so fun to watch. I think one of the things is like I'm a lover of beautiful football, and the same way that I love Ayman Salouf, and he's been one of my favorite players this season. To see a player like Ali Musi do a mm. roulette in the box to get past the <laughs> player. And just do like a ball, step, a ball roll, step over, fake shot to try to get it onto his weak right foot and put that finish through yeah. is ridiculous. That's the kind <laughs> of player that you want to see week in, week out. That's, you know, mm. the definition of a franchise player that mm. will get people to come in and watch your games is a player yeah. like Ali Musi. And he put it on display again today. So I was lucky just to be there to be able to watch it, even though I was in the Vancouver box. Um, <laughs> but yeah, fantastic performance from him. And that is all for this week. 
Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow us once again on Twitter, Instagram, and threads so you can give us your thoughts on this week's game, on this week's episode, and so you can give us any suggestions on future special episodes that we might do, future guests that we might have, interviews, whether that be with players or coaches or guests as pundits and analysts. And yeah, just let us know. We'd love to interact with you. But until next time, I'm Felipe Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this has been Coast to Coast FC, signing out.